welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down once again with our cybersecurity experts, Jamie Winterton and Adam Dupay. We were talking about the notion of international collaboration in cybersecurity. Now, we recorded this just after the G20 summit where there was a brief discussion about a cybersecurity collaboration between Russia and the United States. And we hinted at that, talked about that for a minute. But in a much bigger um, picture, through a much bigger lens, we talked about the notion of international collaboration in cybersecurity, which is actually not unheard of and something that's pretty central to the cybersecurity enterprise from a national security perspective. I have one other note to make, which is that we recorded this episode off-site. We were at a global security initiative retreat in Sedona, Arizona, so we didn't have our usual microphone set up. If the sound is a little bit different, funky sounding, that's why. Hopefully it won't uh, get in the way of your enjoying this episode with Adam and Jamie once again. As always, before we get to the episode, thank you so much for listening to Future Out Loud. We are really glad that you're here with us. Please tell your friends about the Future Out Loud podcast. You can find us in places like uh, the Apple Podcast Store and iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. Uh, You can find us right now on SoundCloud. That might be changing, but we'll let you know if it does. You can also tweet at us at Future Out Loud, and we have a Facebook page, Future Out Loud. Thank you for listening, and now on with our cybersecurity team. Hi, Future Out Loud cyber team. Hi. (laughs) So we are here with... Andrew Maynard, Adam Dupay, Jamie Winterton, and we're recording this. Um, we are on location in Sedona, Arizona today at Amara Resort, should they care to sponsor the podcast in the future. <laughs> the Cyber um, Vortex. That's right. That's mm, right. We're taking advantage of all available vortices and crystals. Yes. And we are talking today about cybersecurity and international cooperation because this may have been raised as a possibility for our country as a strategy a national security strategy to collaborate with those who we know are very familiar with our cybersecurity infrastructure because they have breached it in the past Um, and so adam you have some thoughts about this yes so i think there's um couple different ways to think about this and one way there's actually models in the industry because it's a it's a really interesting problem when you think about it right let's let's say let's get away from the nation state i think actors a little bit because i think that's a little Mm -hmm. um a little charged so we can take it let's say two competing companies right Mm -hmm. that don't trust each other okay right do they want to work together on cybersecurity? okay you know, you'd think no, right? You'd think it doesn't make any sense because why would you want to help out your competitor? Um, it turns out that actually a lot of times they do end up working together in these, they create some kind of like cybersecurity partnerships where they'll share the threats that they're facing mm-hmm. with even their direct competitors. 
because they know that the threats that they see are the threats that kind of the industry sees. Sure. Right. So this is the common common interest model. Exactly. Sure. Yes. And they actually yes. they do this, but they also have a lot of interesting challenges. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, what type of information do they share? How private, you know, are they actually scrubbing this information to share with the other parties? Mm -hmm. Do they actually want to share directly so that company A says, yes, I was hacked by X and X IP address? Or do they just want this information to anonymously surface that somebody saw an attack from website, you know, from IP address XX? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's different kinds of models and ways to do this, but it's definitely, it's actually a real problem that actual companies have. So you okay. take that to the, the nation state level. So mm -hmm. we're talking about the US and Russia to start with. We are. So for this model to apply, there would have to be a third actor involved. Mm -hmm. Some actor, presumably that was threatening both of those mm -hmm. states. Possibly, yes. Okay. I think that's, that's kind of the way I think about it in the sense that like, okay, yeah, that's a, you know, uh, there is value there mm -hmm. in teaming up to kind of share ideas and, and right. threats and attacks that you're seeing because they, you know, you, you, you assume that you are kind of under the same types of threats. And the other interesting thing that from the industry perspective is when you think about cybersecurity, everybody's under attack all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. That's just a given. Mm -hmm. You connect some computer to the internet, you're under attack, right? All mm -hmm. organizations are under attack, mm -hmm. right? So there's kind of this, if you think about like, physics, background radiation, mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. right, mm -hmm. of these attacks that are happening all the time. But there's actually industry-specific attackers, like people who target companies that are in the same industry, and only those people. So they actually don't target other people. Um, and then you get more specific to company-specific attackers. But here you can actually draw some nice, if you can team with other people in your kind of same area, you're experiencing right. the same types of attacks. So it actually benefits everybody to share the threats. So keeping with the company mm -hmm. analogy and mm -hmm. pushing this along, what happens if company A is actually developing um, either cyber attacks or some sort of cyber insurgence with company B? Mm -hmm. How does that then affect their relationship with sharing information? Mm -hmm. I, I think that is something that I don't know necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that, that does complicate matters, um, right? Because uh, but, then you get... You so, but I, And so I, I can imagine that mm -hmm. this actually happens. But then if you've got this relationship, you're obviously thinking, what can be reverse engineered that we share? Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how can the, the, the company that we're collaborating with use this information in some way that's gonna disadvantage us? Exactly, and mm -hmm. that's actually, uh, sorry, please, Jamie. No, well, I was gonna say, then you have to decide what do we share and how do we right. partner? Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, right. because this has happened before. So mm -hmm. about a little more than a year ago, President Obama at the mm -hmm. time um, had a press conference with President Xi from China and mm -hmm. said, we had a heart to heart on cybersecurity. We had a very difficult discussion. And and we've come to some terms mm -hmm. and those terms weren't discussed I don't think they were information sharing type of things because right. we, you know um, but from what the reports came after that mm -hmm. were that we experienced a lot less intellectual property theft okay. through Chinese hacking okay so that did hmm. seem to be some sort of ramifications right and, yes. and the thought wow. at the time was like if these two parties the United mm -hmm. States and China can come to the table and say we can agree on certain norms of behavior mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then other countries may also come to the table right um, right I'm not sure we've really seen that happen, though. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I mean, the, definitely the companies have to think about, you know, when I share this piece of information, exactly, yeah, yeah. am I giving something away that could be, you know, 
but but doesn't this also depend on there being a, a common set of rules? So so mm-hmm. companies yes. that are competitors are going to be working out that competitive edge, um, and they're going to be looking for that thin sliver which is between mm-hmm. legal and illegal that they can get away with. Yeah. But they're working to a common set of rules. They both know the rules that the other company are going to be working to. Well, it, ideally. Yes. I did, yes. But, but here's the thing think. about Sorry. legal and illegal. Yes. And one of our colleagues in the law school, Katie O'Brien, has said multiple times that the way that legal is established is based on case on precedent, right? right? Mm-hmm. On case precedent. And in the case of cybersecurity and nation state collaboration or not collaboration, um, there aren't cases establishing what is legal. That's but, always going to lag. Which means you've what got much cor- more latitude. Yeah. Yes. Well, which, what which what courts right. would that be? And how do you right. decide mm-hmm. what's illegal right. where? That's is it where the person is sitting with the keyboard? Well, is it the nation where the attack the happens? Is it, you know, the IP that's the proxy in between mm-hmm. the two? And this seems to be, I mean, even sort of looking at the huge gamut of what's legal and what's not mm-hmm. and how you, do you define it, as soon as you get to cyber, it seems to be even murkier there. There don't seem to be the, be those I, benchmarks and norms that you right. Definitely, I think there's at least, I, I don't know about legal, illegal, I think there's clear, you know, intrusions, like this right. is a, this is an attack, right? Uh-huh. I think you can uh-huh. at least think about it in terms of that, but I think the problem is where it gets murky is what Jamie was alluding to is kind of this attribution problem. Like, okay, yeah. you got attacked, so what? Was it uh, some kid messing around? Was it uh, yeah. Chinese hackers? Yeah. Was it just some bot that's scanning things mm-hmm. that who knows, mm-hmm. that's just an infected computer that's running, you know, scanning <laughs> yeah. things? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to tie down that attribution. And I think that's a lot of where the murkiness comes from. A, even on top of the fact that the, the legal system doesn't really right, know how right, to deal right, with these right, these issues. Right. You've also got deniability there as well. Exactly. I, so of course, yeah. I, mm-hmm. if I, again, I'm going to use Russia and the States. If Russia launched mil- um, a missile attack on the States, you know where those missiles came from. Yes. Mm-hmm. If there's a cyber right. attack, even if it's Putin sitting there sort of talking at his computer, <laughs> yeah. like the chances Great that we could actually... In his <laughs> Russian hoodie. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's yes. right. He's put on a few pounds when he's doing that's that. That's right. <laughs> The, two fingers, two it, fingers. It is, yeah. it is going to be incredibly difficult to trace that back. Yes. So then you've got mm-hmm. that murkiness of not being quite sure what happened or where it came from. Yeah, and that's why a lot of the, I mean, the people who talk about when the U.S. government maybe tries to at, attribute mm-hmm. something to somebody else, a lot of the feeling in the security community, the cybersecurity community, is they're probably using other types of intelligence to sure. corroborate that, right? Yep. So it's not yeah. just... Yeah, you can't just see like, oh, these IP addresses came from the Russian IP block, therefore it's definitely Russia, <laughs> game over, like yeah. we're done. Right. Yeah. So yeah. let me ask you this, what is an attack? Because I'm not Good sure that's, that's really <laughs> clearly <laughs> defined. I, I, yeah, question. this is, right. you'll have um, these groups sometimes that will say, we are attacked thousands and thousands of times a day. Mm. And then you'll dig in and find out, well, their ports are being scanned oh, and they're I, counting each scan yeah. of I'm each so port as some that, kind yeah. of an attack. Because I've always wondered this. Yes. It's so I think, not well yes. defined. Yeah. It's you can inflate point. those numbers. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would say, I think if you can bring it back maybe to the fundamental way we think about security. So security or um, security is you're ensuring confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So that's CIA okay. is the way we think about that, right? Aww, so cute. are things, Who's yeah. The, the security like. community? <laughs> yeah. I think about it like that. That's actually how I remember right. it. That's um, so the royal we. Yeah, yeah. so okay. I don't yeah. not yeah. say yeah. there's yeah. three yeah. things yes. that are important yeah. to security, confidentiality, integrity, and the third thing. 
Um, <laughs> availability? Yeah, no. Wait, was that it? Yes, it was. Okay. That was oh. great. You Ooh. passed the test. Nice. Um, so that's usually how we think about like a security issue is when you can compromise one of these aspects. Mm -hmm. So I'd say an attack would be a successful compromise of one of these aspects of the system. So mm -hmm. to me, I would say port scanning, not. So for the port scanning is yeah. basically knocking on your front door to kind of either seeing who's home or to take it a little bit further, it's jiggling the knob to see if the door is uh -huh. locked. You're not actually opening the door. You're just kind of doing intelligence gathering. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say that's not, but I'd say phishing people's employees, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, definitely breaking into databases. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, I think there's... Yeah. If you achieve an intrusion. I, I know it when yeah. I see it. How about that? Oh. oh. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. I, love I it. think that that is the standard that we should really be using for everything, right? I know it when there's I see it. There's precedent. However, so in Star Trek, when... <laughs> <laughs> what a smooth segue. It, well, no, but listen, when the ship was scanned, that was not dismissed as, you know, uh, like, oh, we were scanned, that was nothing. That raised the hackles of whichever captain was at the helm. How many times do they get scanned an episode? Oh, rarely more than once because right. it's an infrequent event yeah. that a so it's infrequent yeah. and they can detect it yeah and they can accurately kind of pinpoint maybe where it's coming from sometimes mm -hmm. um, more or less but yeah i think that's it's it's difficult when you're being scanned constantly yeah right well but i guess so the question is should scanning be like Certainly, I, it, it seems like it deserves, it merits a metric in the security. But if know, it's a metric yeah. that everyone is yeah. achieving right. all the time. Okay. So. But it's definitely, so if, when, when we think about attacks, right, there is, you can kind of broadly categorize it as you have this reconnaissance phase, right? We're uh -huh. trying to learn uh -huh. as much information as possible. Yep. Then when you've gathered enough information, then you launch your attack. Sure. And then you use that, as we've talked about before, to pivot to other maybe mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. and you do more reconnaissance, right? So, you know, from a defensive perspective, if basically the port scan or the scanning is that first step that's of the reconnaissance. The recon. yeah. So that's why the hope from security people is always like, yes, if we can block the reconnaissance, then we've blocked, you know, we've, mm -hmm. we've right. stopped this, the kill chain, right? Like mm -hmm. we've stopped it here, mm -hmm. but it's something that ex exactly like Jamie said, it's happening all the time by everyone. So, you know, how do you know which ones are real yeah. reconnaissance and right. what's just background and noise? And what's just like Putin enjoying his morning coffee. Yeah. Just running a little end yeah. map against the entire, you know, US IP space. <laughs> this mind gets to see why he said that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Knows all the flags by heart. Oh yeah. What well, who was it he said something about like, you know, like an artist wakes up in the morning yes, happy right. and decides to paint, you know, so mm. does the hacker. So that's right. That's a great point and that leads to Andrew with the attribution, right? Mm. So let's say company A hires consulting firm X to get dirt on what is the new upcoming products from company B, mm -hmm. right? And I don't really care how you come up with that. If it ends right. up attacking them or in making a break in, hey, whatever, like I, I didn't do that. I didn't ask you to do that. You mm -hmm. can look at our agreement, right? I just said I wanted intel, you know, information right. Right. on what was Plausible happening. Plausible like deniability, yes. Exactly, yeah. um, and I think that also makes things difficult um, Plus, it kind of feeds back into this. Well, yeah, maybe A and B at the same time want to share intelligence about attacks, and they're actually fine if they're sharing intelligence about, you know, attacks that they're sponsoring. Because, 
if those people are really good, they won't get detected, right? <laughs> right. right. Oh, or the damage will already problem. be done. Mm -hmm. so, this is a wicked problem is what this is. But, but it almost feels to me as if we're asking the wrong question here. Probably, um, yeah. Surely there is utility in countries getting together mm -hmm. and actually mm -hmm. trying to pin down what constitutes um, inappropriate behavior or mm -hmm. attack behavior. Sure. So at Definitely. least then there is a common understanding of when you're within the bounds or when you're outside the bounds of acceptable behavior. So that mm -hmm. But we don't, can, we don't share cultural values on this at all. Right. So the way the United States thinks of hacking is very different than the way that Russia yeah. thinks of hacking. And basically in Russia, if you're hacking something and it's not the government, right. good on you. That's but, fine. But yeah. that to me is an opportunity. Because I mean, if you look at any sort of standard, any sort of international standard, that's mm -hmm. where you start from. Everybody has different perspectives, different mm -hmm. standards, mm -hmm. and they begin, come to the point where they realize the world doesn't work. They can't do what they want to do mm -hmm. with their own independent ways of doing things. At some point, you've got to reach some sort of commonality. Uh, maybe that doesn't work with hacking. I mean, but, I've heard some people throw around the Geneva Convention for cybersecurity, which yeah, I, I don't, no, I don't like I, the I, connotations. I, but that, that to me is messy. But something like <laughs> an international standard, <laughs> sort of, or an international agreement on even how you define things, even before mm. you've got to deciding what is appropriate and what is not. Just what do these words mean mm. that we're using? Well, what about a case like North Korea? Mm. Uh -huh. North Korea uh -huh. is on a single IP block. They can basically take themselves off the internet yes. completely right. as a country. Mm -hmm. When you have that ability, you have a particular defensive measure you can employ you mm -hmm. that yes. a group like the United States can't. Right. right, right, right. Which I think is a, it's a different sort of challenge because now if you look at North Korea, you've got a, a player that doesn't see the utility in playing sort of equitably with, with everybody else. Yeah. So with any sort of standard, or any sort of agreement, mm -hmm. there's got to be a point of connection. I don't think that exists with North so Korea I think yet. Actually, that's a good point. And then it made me think about so relationships and power dynamics, right, between mm -hmm. the US and Russia, right? So does it actually benefit Russia to enter into this cyber agreement? Right. Mm -hmm. It seems right. like we're getting the business end of all of this, right? And yeah. nothing really is happening to them. So why would they say, Yes, you know, I definitely agree. We should not be happy. I mean, and that's where you get into mm -hmm. politics. You look at yeah. everything else that's going on mm, between okay. the countries. So, yeah. what is the incentive between different countries to even engage in standard setting around cybersecurity? I mean, we like like-minded Americans can't even agree on what a definition of cybersecurity mm -hmm. is, right? So. I don't know what the answer is, but I would suspect that at least part of it is going to come into economic benefit. So yeah. if you if you look at it from an economics perspective, mm -hmm. if um, cybersecurity is adversely impacting both sides um, mm -hmm. of an economic trade agreement, you can put um, understandings in place that actually increase the flow of money between those those two countries okay. effectively. That's if economics are the primary motivator here. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where it doesn't work with North Korea, but mm -hmm. it does work with a lot of other countries. But with critical infrastructure, it might. It I mean, might. every yes. country has critical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Most a, a lot of that is going to be connected somehow to the internet. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that you know North Korea can't just remove itself, put itself back. But they, they're kind of a special case anyway. I think so, yes. Um, yeah. So that might be one of the biggest incentives. Yeah. But even from, yeah, so North Korea can't, from an infrastructure perspective, perspective remove itself from the whole world, right? They still need China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe China is the key to standard <laughs> setting 
in cybersecurity and all things security. Is that possible? Well, we've been expecting China to manage North Korea for a long, a long time. time. Well, yes. so and far they've been, been doing... Well, it's been okay. But, okay. but I think, so if you broaden this out from just looking at US and Russia mm-hmm. to looking at sort of G7, G8, G whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, G19. G19. <laughs> 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 but, but, but this is exactly what happens in, in these sort of circles mm-hmm. or these sort mm-hmm. of international clubs. Mm-hmm. You actually work out what the rules of engagement mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. So the net benefit to everybody is, is positive or right. less negative than yeah. it would otherwise be. And the hope is, I mean, this is above my pay grade, but the hope is that beyond the rhetoric and the bluster, there are these conversations going on. Mm-hmm. Now, whether they are, I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, something that I would be very interested to see how all of that right. would come about. So <laughs> pragmatically, these conversations are on camera happening between heads of state, but in reality are happening two or three levels below that. Well, they should be. They should be, mm-hmm. right? So what happens if, for example, you are a world leader, nation state, and you have not staffed your agencies hypothetically. hypothetically at two or three levels down. Can this kind of work even happen? It's very hard to imagine how it could. I What would happen is you end up going into a, a bilateral meeting with no idea what the agenda is. Yeah. Or how with do you no put a idea? meaningful structure to it? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Jamie, you probably know this, um, well, you know most things better than I do, but... um, I don't know, that's true. I mean, who are... So those people who are, you know, like, a couple levels down, who are doing the bread and butter work of that type of international negotiation, like, I'm guessing that they have long-standing relationships with their international counterparts. Is that accurate? I mean, do you know? I don't know. Andrew, do you know? Um, You've been in actual outside, government Yes, yeah, so I mean, outside defense, yes. If, I mean, if you're looking at government in general, mm-hmm. yes, there are usually really strong connections between mm-hmm. different departments and different groups doing stuff um, mm-hmm. between different countries. Um, and that's where a lot of the bread and butter work is done. Okay. Yeah. So how much of the productivity with those bilateral negotiations mm-hmm are built on the long-standing relationships of the guys that you never hear about so or that, ladies that so you never hear about. So that's the ideal, and, and this is partially why we're struggling with uh, the current administration, because usually you'd have processes in place, you'd have mm-hmm. long-standing relationships where a lot of the, the grunt work is done at that lower level, mm-hmm. and the higher-level meetings are reflecting a lot of that mm-hmm. and sealing the deal with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Instead, yeah. we seem, and this may not be correct, but we seem to have a situation where things are coming from the top down and yeah. everybody underneath is scrambling to work out what on earth to do with it so what it's turned the system mean? on its head yeah, yeah. Um, and that is tough if the the people making the decisions at that high level meeting don't actually have mm-hmm. the, the intelligent intelligence in terms of information mm-hmm. yeah. um, and the, the the background that they need to have mm-hmm. those conversations so Adam right now and and Jamie you again probably know this better than uh, anybody else um, but what is the status in the United States right now of that sort of down the org chart staffing for cybersecurity in the intelligence structure 
I'm going to defer to Jamie before she defers to me. (laughs) (laughs) You're a jerk. Um, (laughs) Well, so I can only speak about unclassified, right? Yeah, So there's a whole world. I'm not sure what's going on back there, and that's fine. Um, Overall, there's a... there's been a dearth of cybersecurity expertise for quite some time. Okay. In addition to that, there's also a dearth of these, you know, mid-level positions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, there's a, a huge negative impact because the people that are there mm-hmm. probably don't have the expertise subject matter-wise, mm-hmm. and there's just not enough of them. Okay. Um, the hiring freeze has impacted this, of course. the inability mm-hmm. to bring mm-hmm. people in, and then yeah. the inability for the people in the positions to have the right resources to get up to speed. So is this an opportunity for where we really should be leveraging public-private partnerships? Yes. Um, like, mm-hmm. And Adam, in the industry, like, what do you know? Is, is I mean, there a lot of, of them are self, well, self-regulating in some sense, so. What do you mean by that? Um, the like PCI compliance, so the credit card industry has standards. Um, oh, I see. Professionally self-regulating. Yeah, yeah. And okay. and a lot, some of these, the the whole idea of this sharing institute comes from some examples that I've seen that I can't talk about because the companies don't want to say that they're even part of these of these organizations that are doing the, this type of sharing. Okay. Um, but as far as like policy-wise, yeah, that's an interesting. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I would say that this is this is the kind of wicked problem that we think about at the Global Security Initiative. Like there is truly not an answer. Not there's not an answer to this. But I would problem. say that there are there are pathways forwards okay. which are going to be more likely to lead us towards um, either solutions or a range of solutions mm-hmm. than others. And some of those pathways forwards um, involve actually understanding the nature of the conversations we're having, the boundaries we want to set mm-hmm. around okay behavior versus not okay behavior, mm-hmm. um, how you begin to negotiate penalties if mm-hmm. you overstep those. So there's a whole range of conversations, professional mm-hmm. conversations and pathways which could be engaged in. And the question is, are we engaging in them? And I think the other really important thing that you said earlier was definitions, right? Mm -hmm. So making sure we're talking the same language because that's it's actually a difficult problem in in itself. It's a it's a really important starting point, and it's one of those things you can deal with because it doesn't deal with ideologies. It just deals with what you actually mean when you say (laughs) certain things. Right, and so I guess maybe that needs to happen at the level of the profession first, Mm. right? The private level. And then can so go I would, to a government level no, no, no. I would actually say, like like a lot of international standards, mm-hmm. you've got to have government there as well as private bodies. You've basically so got to, to have pub- key stakeholder groups at the table. Interesting. So it needs to yes. be a public-private collaboration it from does. the get-go. It does. And then you can take that to an international mm-hmm. plane, right, where you can then cope with different cultural inputs so you'll probably the find that states. the international standards organization has done this and it's stuck mm-hmm. in some document somewhere that nobody has read because they're not forking out the money for it. That's a great question. <laughs> is there an ISO standard hmm? for cybersecurity? Actually, what, this <laughs> definition problem actually reminds me of the podcast we did with uh, Heather Roth uh, talking about what is an autonomous weapon. Right. Yeah, yes. exactly. Similar. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I just read, actually, um, 
I was on an airplane and I read her working paper on what is an autonomous weapon. You know, it was talking a lot about like warfare and it, like air warfare. And I thought I should probably not be reading this on an airplane. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the passenger next to you looks over. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> okay, so when I uh, Google ISO cybersecurity, I do come up with a totally blank screen, which is concerning. Um, it's because you've just been hacked. I, oh, yeah, probably. All right. Well, I, you know, I think that it, the idea, though, of, of public-private sort of stakeholder um, collaborative definition setting and standard setting is really interesting. Yeah, and I, yeah. Think, I think the overall idea of can, you know, can countries work together on these difficult problems on setting these ground mm -hmm. rules. I think it is an important thing to consider. Yep. Yeah. Um, we didn't touch on the, do you want the foxes guarding the hen house problem, which is probably <laughs> yeah. a good thing, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's probably fine. But I do think that it makes sense that like you have to have your own hen house in order before you can like start collaborating mm -hmm. with the chickens next door. <laughs> that's magnificent. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, well, I guess we'll have to leave this here and solve it next time. Great, All right, All right thanks, thanks guys. <laughs> For more where that came from, Check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hair created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.